0: Thank you, Hillcrest, for uh, letting me come preach here again. uh, uh, God has really been working in in my life, and I got to talk with Jake uh, just last Sunday, and God's just really opening the doors for us. Um, And, you you know, a a lot of that comes with us, you know, putting forth the sacrifice, but a lot of that goes back to you, too, and there's credit in you in in allowing us to, uh, to come up here Get some experience, get some exposure, uh, being able to preach and just, um, and you gave us our first start. So um, I just want to say, and I feel like Jake and and Curtis, when he gets up here, will have the same opinion that we appreciate uh, the support that you guys have given us. So thank you for that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and dive right in. As uh, you can probably tell from last time, I usually have a lot to say. Um, So uh, my topic tonight is, are you prepared for the battle? Are you prepared for the battle, all right? And we're not looking at the final battle. Um, we're, not, we're not getting into Revelation here. Um, I'm just talking about you as a church, us, Hillcrest Baptist Church, are we prepared for a battle if it were to come to us? And I'm not talking about Um, uh, pulling out your guns, because I know half of you in here are packing, so I know we're ready for the next Civil War, but that's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about the spiritual battle, I'm talking a battle for our kids, I'm talking about a battle for our nation, I'm talking about a battle for our politics. Are you prepared for a battle? So um, I want to start off with some quotes here. First, one is this History fails to record a single precedent in which nations subject to moral decay have not passed into political and economic decline. There has been either a spiritual awakening to overcome the moral lapse or progressive deterioration leading to an ultimate national disaster. Next quote Nobody grows old by merely living a number of years, people grow old only by deserting their ideals. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up interest wrinkles the soul. Worry, doubt, self-distrust, fear and despair, these are the long, long years that bow the head and turn the growing spirit back to dust. Whatever your years, there is in every being's heart the love of wonder, the undaunted challenge of events, the unfailing childlike appetite for what next, and the joy and the game of life. The next one is talk of an imminent threat to our national security through an application of external force is Pure nonsense. Our threat is from the insidious forces working from within which have already so drastically altered the character of our free institutions that those institutions we proudly call the American way of life. And then this is the last one. The soldier. That's what I'm talking about today. Soldiers. The soldier above all other Praise for peace, for it is the soldier who must suffer and bear the deepest wounds and scars of war. All those are sayings from General Douglas MacArthur, one of the greatest generals of all time. Um, those of you that know me, I'm a huge history buff, and especially when it comes to wars. Uh, and General Douglas MacArthur, I, I think we can all agree, was a great general. Um, our country, since its founding, has been under attack. Those of you who do not know, we've been studying One Nation Under God um, every Sunday night uh, for our adult DT, and Brother Scott Ogle uh, teaches that class along uh, with myself, and I, I can't speak for myself, but I can speak for Brother Scott. He has done a fantastic job, um, and I would encourage every single adult who, if you get a conviction out of this sermon, I would show up on Sunday for that DT class. Um, our country has been under an intentional attack um, on its characters, on its morals since the very beginning. Whether you want to buy into it or not, there's a war that's been raging in our country since the beginning. And whether you want to buy into it or not, if you want to bury your head in the sand, the war is at our doorstep. It's not a public enemy that has brought its guns to our surfaces. It is not a forceful threat at this point in time, but it, nonetheless, there is a war right now that is at our doorstep. Let me, let me give you an example. In 1959, Brock Chisholm, who at the time was the first director general of the World Health Organization for the United Nations, said this. To achieve a one world government is necessary to remove from the minds of men their individualism, their loyalty to family, their national patriotism, and their religious beliefs. He went on to receive the Humanist of the Year Award in 1959. I believe that three of those four things have already occurred in our country, and I believe the fourth one is quickly coming. If you look at our individualism, it's been stripped away through actions of socialism throughout our government. We've lost the idea that a man can go out, work for a living, and provide for his own family without the assistance of government. We've lost that idea, we've been stripped of our individualism. Instead of Trusting in an almighty God, we'd rather turn to an almighty government. And instead of relying on a father that says that he has a thousand cattle on a thousand hills and that he can usher the statements that all the gold and silver in the world, according to Haggai 2 7 and 9, is the Lord's, we'd rather trust on the government to provide for us. Next, we look at loyalty to our families, it's a forgotten art. We allow men and women to come together in sexual relations out of wedlock. They then go on to have children that we expect the government and the common everyday man to support and uphold. And that's if they don't choose to exercise their right to kill that unborn child of which we then pay for. We don't even pass it on to the culprits who caused that murder. We pay for that. 1 Timothy 5.8 says that if a man cannot Take care of his own family. He's worse than an infidel. We look at our national patriotism. It's all but destroyed. We've allowed such anger and animosity to build up between our social groups that no one trusts anybody from the police down. Instead of forgiving the sins of our forefathers and realizing the beauty of the nation that through time we have created, we would rather wallow in our past and remove from our, into our little groups. And instead of considering ourselves as a nation, we segment ourselves. Acts 17, 26 said, God arranged all the existence of nations for his purpose. America was arranged for his purpose. We have a role to play. And it's still there. Our promise is still there if we will do the right thing and humble ourselves and pray before him. Finally, our religious structures. Throughout the country, our religious structures are falling apart or they're being watered down. And I do not mean to offend anybody. I'm sure I will get in trouble for this. But Hillcrest Baptist is not exempt from that. Amen. We're not exempt from that. 17% of Americans now attend church regularly. 17%. And guys, that's not, they're not going to the Hillcrest Baptist churches throughout the United States and polling this. This is Catholic churches, this is Methodist churches, this is any church you want to call a church. 17% of Americans walk through a church door on any given Sunday. One in six men throughout the country will go to church. By the time the great generation, our World War II veterans and uh, the people that lived through that age, by the time they die, they say that budgets in our churches will be cut by 50 percent. 50 percent. By the time the next generation moves on, which would be the baby boomers, they said that it will be 70 percent of our church budgets cut. If we don't believe that, if you don't believe that, I can promise you, you go to the to our youth rooms, and you see every every time during Sunday morning, we we give them a chance to give an offering of their allowance that their parents give to them, and you come see how many of them give ten percent of their whatever allowance you give them. You're lucky if you're getting a dollar or two. The plain fact of the matter is, is our whole entire system is on the brink of crumbling. We have the option between two people and. I have a quote from Hillary Clinton who is, if she is elected as our president, this is a quote from I'm sorry, from 2015, April 23rd at a women's rally. She said this, "'Yes, we've nearly closed the global gender gap "'in primary school, but secondary school remains out of reach "'for so many girls around the world. "'Yes, we've increased the number of countries "'prohibiting death, domestic and violence, "'but still more than half the nations in the world "'have no such laws on the books, And estimated one in three women still experience violence. Yes, we've cut the mortality rate in half, but far too many women are still denied critical access to reproductive health care, which is just a fancy word for allowing them to have an abortion and safe childbirth. All the laws we pass passed don't count for much if they are not enforced. Rights have to, be, have to exist in practice, not just on paper. Laws have to be backed up with resources and political will. Listen to this next statement. I got an underlying cap because this is important. And deep-seated cultural codes... And religious beliefs and structural biases have to be changed. And that statement, if you can't see those four things that they were talking about, that I just talked to you about, she's stripping the individualism. She's lumping us all as a one world, one 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 big problem. From there, you go on to the destruction of the family. I understand women should be treated just as equally as men. But at the same time, when you exclude men, then you're excluding part of the family there. So you've undermined that. You go on and you look at the national patriotism. Again, she's taking world problems and forcing them onto the United States. And then finally, religious structure. Obviously, we have no clue what we're talking about and we need to change the way we believe and the way we think and the way God has told us to act. War is on our doorsteps, our way of life, our way of faith. It's time for you and me to wake up and realize and decide whether or not we're going to fight it. Being able to... To practice your religious freedom goes much farther than just coming into the doorsteps of the church building, be able to sit in your pews and listen to me or Brother Glenn preach or any other pastor. Freedom religion is being able to take what you've learned, go back out into society, and apply it to where you live, to where you work, and the people that you influence. The plain fact of the matter is we're trying to define religious freedom as church only. And guess what? We've bought into it every step of the way. We've bought into it every step of the way. So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at one, do you know your enemy? That was, just, that was just getting warmed up. We were looking at one, do you know your enemy? Two, have you prepared yourself? And three, what's stopping you from going on the offensive? So if you will, open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. I will go ahead and at this time, once you find 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you will mark Deuteronomy chapter 20, I'll be going there, um, here in a little bit. All right. I'm going to be working through verses 1 through 14 for the rest of this message, um, I believe it's common enough sense for us to say, if you're going to fight an enemy, you got to know who your enemy is. I believe that's pretty common sense. I believe that if you're going to strike something or if you're going to attack something, you need to know who you're attacking. Because if you don't know who you're attacking, you are either, one, wasting your energy and resources, or two, you're attacking an innocent bystander, which in turn gives you two enemies, one that's hidden and one that's visible. The Bible is perfectly clear as to who our enemy is. If you haven't figured that out, the first few chapters of Genesis will let you in on the secret. It's the devil, plain and simple. He's been a thief, killer, and destroyer, according to John 10.10. 10. He's a lion seeking whom he may devour, according to 1 Peter five eight. He's a liar and deceiver of men, according to John 8.44. And he is the father of the Antichrist and all false religions, because from the beginning he sought to be God, according to Revelation 13:1 and 2, and Ezekiel 28, 12 through 19. God not only reveals our enemy, but he then goes on to reveal what he wants to do. If you look in Ephesians 6:12, it tells you that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this world. What that is saying is we wrestle against the government and the things of this world of power. If you notice throughout the Bible, whenever Satan's working, he doesn't take the weakest one. Satan works in strength. Satan likes to use things that will intimidate you to a point to where you won't stand up, to where you won't say something. That's his game plan. First thing we have to come to grip with, and I believe it's a big one in our church, from our leadership down to our members, is we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We don't need to be fighting each other. I've been coming to this church for 12 years, for 12 years. And again, I am not, I I am not trying to start a war here. I'm not trying to start a fight with among us, but I'm just being honest with you. I've been here for 12 years and I feel like this is the most divided we've been in the 12 years that I've been here from leadership down. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about within the leadership. I have no clue about that. I just, to me personally, my spirit feels a divide between, between those things, And that's not what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be not wrestling against flesh and blood. We overstep our bounds. We disrespect each other in so many ways. We're spending our resources and our time trying to establish control over flesh and blood when according to Paul, that's not even our enemy. Flesh and blood. Adam and Eve were flesh and blood in the garden. Yet they didn't sin until they were tempted to sin by the devil, the enemy. Understand this. Yes, our flesh and blood will cause us to sin. It's what causes us to need Christ's blood. But that's when we give in to the temptation that the enemy has put before us. Our flesh and blood, according to Paul, is not the enemy. We get our feelings hurt over simple matters. We try to force respect and authority. We cut ties with human resources, which is the only thing that God has given us to fight our battles. Humanly. If you want to know how God feels about the church, why don't you go read John chapter 17. John chapter 17, let me give you this picture. We all know it. Jesus is sitting there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to go to the cross. He's praying drops of blood. Brother Glenn has given us that picture perfectly. He's shown us those things. But here's the thing. Here's what I love about John chapter 17. John chapter 17, Jesus prays three prayers. He prays first for his own glory and God's glory. He prays first that he will be one with God and that God will have glory in him and in what he's about to go do at the cross. Then he goes on and prays for his disciples that they will be one in unity and that there will be no division among them. Then after that, you know who he prays for? All of us. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane is sitting there with drops of blood about to go into the cross, about to take the worst beating any man's ever taken and he's praying for you and me. You know what he's praying for? Unity. Yep. Unity. We can't fight with ourselves. We can't fight amongst ourselves. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, I'm going to start in verse 1 here. That says, And therefore, my son, be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That is what? That is what God wants us to do within the church. We are to take the things that we've learned. For example, when I've been in this church, like I said, for 12 years, I've sat under Brother Glenn's teaching and Brother Glenn's teaching and all the great pastors that have come here. But here's the thing. I didn't do a blessed thing with that until last year's pastor's conference. So according to the Bible, what I should have been doing is I should have been taking all that stuff that all those pastors were giving me and I should have been looking for people to, the, to put that knowledge into and to make preachers so that way they could go out. Not, not me, myself, but who knows how God will work among us. But what I'm saying is is within our church, instead of fighting and arguing with each other, what we should be doing according to 2 Timothy 2, 2 is we should be growing each other. We should be teaching each other. Let's go on and look here. It says we should um, take, uh, if we look on down in verse 14, we have a different side of things. Paul says in verse 14, he says, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to, to but the subverting of the hearers. What Paul's saying there is stop worrying about the petty things. Stop worrying about the things that don't matter. Um, we, I went to the Wilson County Baptist Association, and I'm going to bring a little bit of that up later, but this fits perfectly. And one of the guys who got up and preached, he talked about how Satan many times will use the good to get us distracted from the great. And that's how I feel we are. I feel like we are so focused on the good things that we have done here at Hillcrest Baptist Church. Man, we've built this great auditorium. We have, you know, 1,500 people showing up every Sunday. And man, praise God, we've done so many good things here. And let's just keep that going. And we've taken our eyes of what God has, which is the greater thing, and we don't even know what that is yet. Because we're too busy with the small, unimportant matters. That's what he's talking about. And and see, here's what happened, guys. When we get that way and we start worrying about the pettiness of it, and we start worrying about who's getting credit, who's getting glory, who's getting put up, who's getting to preach, who's getting to do that, who's getting to do this, what happens is, is exactly what it says, the subverting of the hearers. People stop listening to us. Our influence shrinks. People get tired of hearing the same old, same old, same old message. So our influence shrinks, nobody stops. And then next thing you know, not only have we hurt our own selves, but we've turned people away from the gospel because we've worried about the petty matters. Worrying against flesh and blood. uh, When I, when I thought about that and I thought about, you know, if we're at battle with ourselves and I don't think it's reached that point yet. Like I said, I just feel a disconnect personally, um, But if we have that disconnect and if it reaches to a battle where we're worrying against ourselves, here's what I need you to understand. Hillary Clinton, if she gets elected, will have her way with the last domino that's left to fall. If our individualism's gone, our families are gone, our patriotism's gone, and all she's got to do is knock over our belief systems, and we're already fighting amongst each other, and we're already worried about everything else amongst each other, that's going to be a pretty easy thing to do. When I said I'd talk about the Wilson back I'm going to talk about them right now. I went to that meeting, and, and, and here's why I went. I, I was sitting in that pew when uh, Brother Chris asked for volunteers, and I, and I volunteered because I just felt like God was telling me that I needed to go, and I'm glad I went. Man, it, it, was, a, it was a good experience for me, um, but it was also a sobering experience. We have 42 churches in our association, 42 churches that are sending money to this Wilson County Baptist Association um, out of those 42 churches, we have 15 of them with zero baptisms. 15 out of 42 did not reach a single soul in Wilson County for Jesus Christ. 15 out of 42. You know, so I pulled an Abraham. I said, well, let's look at maybe there's five or less. Surely, surely the majority of them led, led five or less. Out of the 42 churches in our association, there were 22 of them who only reached five or less. So over half of our churches only reached five or five or less people. Now, you can look at it on one side and you can say, man, but at least they reached five. And that's true. At least they did. At least they got five people. But at the same time, are we looking at the good in that? Are we just focused on the good that we did there? Or are we looking for the great? When you... Look at our association and you compare it against uh, the world's association, such as the ACLU or the LGBT. Let me tell you something. If the ACLU had 42 court cases and 22 of them they lost, do you think they would be happy with that? Do you think they would be satisfied that they lost 22 court cases to a church association? I don't think they would accept it. I would fire somebody. Do you think the LGBT would accept that they lost 22. When we look at, that, when we, when we look at those things, and so what you got to understand is if that is our influence and if that is our sphere of reach, and here's the thing, Hillcrest Baptist Church, according to what Brother Glenn told me, we had, the lowest bapt- we had the biggest baptism total throughout the whole association, but we had the lowest one that we've had in 15 years. Yeah. So that means there's a problem inside of us. There's a problem with us. But here's the thing, you look at those stats and you look at that, do you think we scare them? Do you think that the ACLU is nervous about us? Yeah, we went and made a great stand against Islam and that teaching, um, uh, but here's the thing, do you think that really made, do you think it made them nervous? Do you think the ACLU is worried about us going and um, breaking down the doors, putting Bibles in schools? No, they ain't worried about that, and here's the reason why. Because they know that in order for us to beat them, we have to be united. And they can pretty well bet that we won't unite. Because we haven't done it yet. Satan knows that his enemy, Satan knows God's power. And therefore, he understands that if he's going to win, he's got to make sure his groups are completely united and unified. That's why they work so well together. That's why they come together for everything Right now, the system we have set up, and I, I agree with the association thought, hey, it, it makes a whole much bigger statement. If you can get 42 churches showing up at the Wilson County board meetings, then it makes one. I think the association's a great thing. I think we should be a part of it. But here's what I believe. If they're not going to change and they're not going to start making an effort to change things in Wilson County, and they're going to keep on with their, this kind of ho-hum backsliding mentality, then we need to separate ourselves for it because God ain't going to bless it. Let Hillcrest Baptist stand on its own. It won't be the first time that a godly church stood by itself and God blessed it. So my question is right now is, do you know your enemy? Do you know your enemy? I can go ahead and say, man, I've lived a long time in my life fighting the wrong people, fighting, arguing about things that are senseless, that are useless, that just don't matter. And I and I'll be the first one to say, "Hey, I'm ready to get those things right. I'm ready. God has opened my eyes. God has worked in me, and I'll be the first one to go ahead and get those things cleared out of the way." But here's the thing, we as a church have to do it. We all have to recognize that we're not each other's enemies. Our leadership's not our enemy. The leadership's got to recognize that our members are our enemy. And we've got to start working together in a cohesive unit to make a difference in Wilson County. Because if we don't, here's what's going to happen. We're just going to keep dropping, dropping, dropping. Eventually our influence isn't going to matter. And that last domino is going to fall. And praise God, hopefully that time is when the rapture comes and we all leave out of here. But I'm not satisfied with leaving millions of people that we could have reached. But we chose not to do the right thing. Next, our next point, have you prepared yourself? Have you prepared yourself for the fight to come? I believe every one of us could say uh, we've been wasting time fighting the wrong, the wrong battles. I believe we could say we've been wasting time fighting our flesh. But let's look at how to prepare ourselves for that. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-7, through 7, Paul gives us here three possible scenarios, shows us three things here um, and kind of to talk about how to prepare for a battle. Look at this, and I'll read it for you. It says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wareth entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully? The husband that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. In verses 3 and 4, we see the warrior. We see that warrior that I talked about, Mr. Mc, General MacArthur, that I talked about at the beginning. We see a warrior. A warrior does not entangle himself with the thoughts of life, of our life right now when he's in battle. If a warrior is in battle, if we are out there fighting, if a, if a soldier's in battle and he's too worried about what's going on at home, he's going to end up getting himself killed and probably other people around him. His mind, everything about him has to be a part of that battle. Um, a silly example that I could give you: uh, When I was younger, I used to take karate. And when I say I took karate, man, we took it serious. Obviously, as you can tell, I, I do just about everything serious. And um, me and my family, we'd travel all over the country. And my parents spent hundreds of dollars going to go into these uh, tournaments. And we and I would fight at all these different places. And one time, I walked into a tournament, got ready to fight, and right when I got ready to fight, my stomach started grumbling. I got hungry. And I started thinking, man, I'm really hungry. And then they called my name up and, and I go out there and I get ready to fight. And all I have on my mind is, man, I'm hungry. And I was young at this time. I was, I was probably six or seven years old, somewhere around there. And so I thought to myself, you know what? All I've got to do is let this guy hit me and I can get out of this fight and I can go eat. <laughs> it didn't occur to me that my parents had spent all this money to get me there all that mattered to me at that point in time is I was hungry and I needed something to eat. So I stepped in there. I've done all this training, built up to this point, stepped in that ring, got ready to fight. Boom, 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 boom. Walked out, went over to my parents. My dad's, he's just red mad. He's hot. He's like, you could have, what, what was that? You just got, you just stood there and got hit. And I said, well, I was hungry. I needed a hot dog. But I learned very quickly and that, that example, it's a silly example, but think about it. If a warrior is more concerned about anything else other than the battle, that's exactly what's going to happen. If you will, open to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20 with me. Deuteronomy chapter 20. Um, God, God lays out his, um, how his children of Israel should go to war. Let me check my time because I, I told Brother Glenn i make sure I get out on time. So, um, But Deuteronomy 20. Verses 5 through 7, it says this, And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, That man, uh, What man is there that hath built a new house, and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man dedicate it. And the man that has planted a vineyard, and he hath not eaten of it, let him also go and return unto his house, lest he die in battle, and another man eat of it. And what man is there that hath betrothed the wife and hath not taken her, let her go, return her to his house, lest he die in battle and another man take her. And, you know, the first time I read through that, I was like, man, that's pretty cool. What if we did that with our military? You know, there'd be, we wouldn't have anybody fighting. But when you think about it, what what God's doing there is exactly what um, Paul's talking about in 2 Timothy 3 and 4. What he's doing is he's getting the people out of there whose minds are not in the battle. He's getting people out of there whose minds are more focused on what their lives are. The next thing we look at was the example of the athlete. The athlete in 2 Timothy uh, 2, verse 5. Paul tells us here that an athlete is only as good as he trains and that he has to follow the rules. And some would say, um, you know, some weak-kneed Christian or associate might say, well, you know, shouldn't we then show mercy? Shouldn't we show grace to our enemies? Shouldn't we um, be merciful to our enemies? And the answer, again, is, I believe, found in Deuteronomy Uh, chapter 20, verses 10 through 15. I'm not going to read it to you because I don't have time, but what what it says there is when you come up to your enemy, if your enemy is afar off from you, if your enemy is not in your land, when you come up to that enemy, you offer them peace. You say, I'll give you peace. You open the gates of your city. We won't fight. You'll become my servants and we'll have peace. But if they shut those gates and they don't offer you peace, you go to war and you kill every last one of them. That's how God mentality was about war and then he takes it a step further if the enemy is in your house if the enemy is at your home you are to wipe everybody out men women children the enemy that is in your house that is at your that that is at your doorstep you're to take care of completely now again like I said at the beginning I'm not talking about a civil war here I'm not talking about let's go get our guns up and start shooting up the town that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about spiritually though we need to be ready that if we're going to meet an enemy here at home We take it all the way. We don't stop at Wilson County. We don't stop at Tennessee. We stop when we get to the U.S. and they've done something about it. we stop when we get to the Supreme Court or they've exiled us or done whatever until we can't fight anymore. We just keep going and going and going and going. That's what God's talking about when he talks about going to war. The next thing that we have the next example he gives us is the one of a farmer. He talks about a farmer as the first one to reap his uh, his his crops. Uh, my grandfather before he passed away, used to grow tomatoes and he would always bring us the surplus of his tomatoes and man they were they were great tomatoes but um, you know you think about farming farming's difficult it 's unpredictable i 'm not a farmer, but um, you know you have to rely on rain or you have to get water somehow, irrigation or, or whatever it is, but it, it's a difficult process. It's always has been. It's one of the curses that God gave us when we defied him in the Garden of Eden. But when a crop finally does come through, I can be a testament to this. My grandfather's tomatoes were much better tasting than Kroger's. Much better tasting than Piggly Wiggly's. Because I believe it was... One, it was natural, it was real. There was nothing that they used to make it grow faster. But two, I believe God honors when a man puts forth an effort. I believe it. I believe he does. And so when we look at that in a spiritual sense, what are we looking at? Well, we've got to be laborers. We've got to be willing to put in the time. We've got to be willing, first of all, to set our lives aside. We've got to be willing to look ahead and say, I'm not going to stop until God has put all my foes at my footstool. And then on the last part, we've got to be ready to put the work in so that way we can reap the benefit. That's what he's talking about here. And then lastly, and I've got to wrap it up here, um, we're talking about what's stopping us from going on the offensive. According to Paul, it's a very simple decision we have to make. Um, In verses 11 through 13, you see um, some interesting things he says there. He talks about dying to Christ or denying Christ. And then he also talks about um, those of us who are unfaithful to Christ, but yet Christ still is faithful for for us. Um, I would dare say we have a few, if not a lot, of sold-out believers here at Hillcrest Baptist Church. Um, I've, I've seen it. I've seen God move in this place. God called me to preach in this place. If you don't believe that God hasn't moved in this place, uh, and I agree, our, Baptist, our, our pastor's convention was fantastic. I mean, God called three pastors for the, from this church and that, bat, and, and that pastor's conference. It was, it was phenomenal. And God's going to call more in the next one, I, I truly believe. And so when we look at that, but I'm not talking about just pastors, I've seen Sunday school teachers who have literally changed, who have, who have come to the point and said, man, I am not giving 100% to my Sunday school class and I'm going to start giving it to them and I'm going to change everything I do to make sure that that Sunday school class is the best that it can be for God. I've had conversations with people about that. It's not just pastors that God has moved in. There's, I could, uh, there, we got singers that you can tell it just comes off of them. They are sold out to God and they want to give a good testimony. But let me give you some encouragement. Can I remind you what Moses told Joshua before they were about to enter the promised land? Do you all remember? He said, Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Also in Daniel chapter 10, verses 15 through 19, Daniel is getting the prophecies of the end times and it is weighing down his soul so much that Daniel said he had no strength left within him. And I wish I had the time to open this to you. Read it. If not, write it down, go home and read it. It's this is what it says, though. It says God came down, touched Daniel and said, I'll give you the strength and don't worry about what's to come because I've planned every step of it. That's some comfort. I don't have to worry if Hillary Clinton gets in. I don't have to worry if Donald Trump gets in. I don't have to worry if all World, World War Three breaks out in this country because my God's planned it. He already knows. All I have to worry about is am I doing what he wants me to do? Am I fighting the battles that he has put in front of me? Am I standing on God's word like he's asked me to do? That's all we have to worry about as Christians. Nextly you go on to the defiers of God, those that have denied God. Let me go ahead and tell you, if there is anybody in this congregation tonight that is like, man, you're crazy. I don't believe any of that stuff, let me go ahead and tell you, if you have denied Christ his proper position in life, this is the best it's ever gonna get for you. It's the best it's ever gonna get. According to Job 15, 34, Isaiah ten six, Jeremiah 42, 20 through 22, and Matthew 24, 51, you will lose eventually in the end of times and you will spend eternity in a lake of fire in a place called hell. It's real. So here's what I would advise you to do. Beat me while you can. Strike me down while you can. Throw me in prison while you can. But here's the thing, before you go to battle with me, let me go ahead and tell you, we can make peace because that's what God's asked me to do. God asked me to lay out the salvation plan and that is for Christ to be your savior. And guess what? You don't have to worry about being a servant to me because we're all servants at the foot of the cross. So the only one you'll be serving is the same one I'm serving and we can go out into the field together and go to work. We don't have to be enemies. We don't have to fight. But look, there's only one way. There's only one way. Then lastly, those of us who have not been faithful to Christ, and we can all be in that. We've all been there. Those of us who are Christians that have not been faithful to the things God has called us to do. Can I turn your attention to Deuteronomy 28? And it talks there, it says, this is what it says. Before you go into battle, look out amongst the people and any of them who are scared or faint hearted, tell them to go home. Because if they come into the battle scared, they will make their brothers and their sisters scared when they go into the battle. Let me tell you something, Christian, who is not stepping up to the plate, who doesn't want to go into the battle, I would rather you not. We can't afford any scared people stepping up to the plate. We just can't. We're, we don't have that luxury anymore. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, this world, the, the, this world has too much power. The government has too much power. What can one little man do? What, how can you change? How can Hillcrest Baptist Church make a change in the United States of government? Can I remind you of a children's song that, they, that my parents used to sing to me? And, and I know y'all are excited about this because I got a beautiful singing voice, but here's how it goes. Here's how it goes. It goes like this. Only a boy named David, only a little sling. Only a boy named David, but he could pray and sing. Only a boy named David, only a rippling brook. Only a boy named David, and five little stones he took. You know what happened? He took one of those stones, he put that sucker in a sling, and he knocked the giant down. And we all know that story, and we all talk about it. But why don't we live it? Why don't we be the David church? Also, let me remind you that in Romans 13, it says that even though Satan might work through the principalities and the powers that may be on this earth, in Romans 13, it tells us that God's the one who put those structures in place, and it was God who gave them the power. So let me tell you something. If they are judging God's people, eventually, God will judge them. You will not come out on the losing end. I can promise you that. I can promise you that. But here's the thing that we have to ask ourselves. I believe God's coming back. I believe He's coming soon. I pray he lasts long enough for me to have a ministry of my own. I'll be honest with you. I want to I be able to, to look back and say, God, I brought some with me. Okay? I brought some with me. I brought a church with me. I brought a county with me. I brought a nation with me. But here's the thing. In order to be that way, I believe God is beginning to ask the question, when I come back, am I going to find any faithful among the earth? Is there anyone who's going to be faithful? And what I want to know is, Hillcrest Baptist Church, are you willing to look at the Lord and say, we've been faithful, we've been fighting, we're ready to enjoy those first fruits of our labors because we're going to stand when nobody else will? Are we going to dedicate ourselves? You tell me, Hillcrest Baptist Church, are you prepared for the battle or not?